0: You're listening to the Sydney Opera House, Artie View podcast. Indigenous peoples are really good
1: at observing things, of how things relate to each other. This season is all about steam, not steam like from a kettle or an old train. Steam is in science, technology engineering, art and math. So at 19, I had my first physics class. I loved being able to understand our environment. We talked to
0: your favourite creative thinkers to explore the connections between science and creativity. This talk was recorded as a live stream conversation. Up next, Carly Noon. Hello there, everyone. My name is Angharad Yo, but you can call me Rad. I'm coming to you today from the Sydney Opera House. Now, the land that we're on today is now called Benalong Point, but the traditional owners of this land, the Gadigal people, called this place Jubagali. I'd like to acknowledge their elders past and present and acknowledge their ongoing connection to the beautiful land and waters that surround this place. It is a place that is world renowned for being so, so beautiful. Today we have so many schools from across the country joining us. And we all get to chat today to Carly Noon, who is a Gamilaroi astronomer and science communicator. For the last 10 years, she's been working in promoting indigenous astronomical knowledge systems and advocating for women in STEM. So hello, Carly. Hello, Yama Rad, and Yama to everyone out there. Thanks so much for being here with us. So I'm really excited to chat to you today because I will say I don't know all that much about Indigenous astronomy, and I think you're going to teach me a lot. Okay, I hope so. I'll I'll do my best. (laughs) So let's start at the beginning. Where did your love for maths and science and space begin? Yeah. Okay. Good question. Uh, I I wasn't that into maths when I was
1: a young child, as I'm <laughs> sure many can relate. It wasn't my favourite thing. In fact, school wasn't uh, always my favourite thing, unfortunately. Um, and it wasn't until maybe about year three or year four that I started actually enjoying maths. And the reason why that came about is because I was actually doing quite quite bad at school, quite poorly. Um, my grades were really bad. My attendance wasn't the best either. And, um, and what happened was my grandma, uh, put me in contact with an Arnie. And so when I'm, when I use that word Arnie, it's, um, it's a word that a lot of Aboriginal people use to describe someone who is an elder within their community. And so I would meet with this elder with my with my Arnie um every every week, once a week we'd meet, and we would do games, we would do English games and maths games, um, and we'd do this every week. And I loved it. I loved spending time with Arnie, I loved learning from her. And I loved getting things right, which I had never really <laughs> experienced before. So this was a really exciting time for me, um, you know, getting a grasp on the maths. Thanks to thanks to this mm-hmm. Arnie who got me there. Um, the English games quickly fell away. I was just, I, I quickly became quite obsessed with the maths games um, and just getting better at maths. And so I, I just kept pushing myself. I kept um, engaging in, in the classroom not just with Ani, but also at school, Um, and I ended up becoming some some math whiz somehow. Um, So yeah, that's how it all started.
0: I love that you said that you played games, because when you started that story, I thought you were going to say, and we did tutoring sessions, and I got a bunch of extra homework, and that's how I learned. (laughs) But doing it through games obviously seems way more fun. Yeah.
1: Oh, that's such a good point actually. So I do tutoring myself. Um, I, you know, I treat many people and, and have throughout the years, uh, in how to do math, how to do physics, how to do a bunch of different things. Um, and, and look, I find games. Um, you know, you can you can play games, uh, and they can be educational, and they can be fun. And in fact, even without the games, learning can be fun. And this is something that that Arnie taught me. She taught me that it can be an enjoyable experience. You know, failure when you when you get something wrong or when something doesn't go quite as planned, that's just an opportunity to, to learn something, right? There's something there that you're not quite getting. And so as opposed to it being this big failure, sad moment, it was just exciting to get better and better. Um, and, of course, to have have this, these laughs and this fun with, with my auntie. So, yeah, um, not only did she teach me that, that mask is uh, something that I could do, she also taught me that learning itself can be fun.
0: Was this Ani a teacher or a tutor herself or she just really clever and like knew how to get you invested?
1: Yeah. So she she wasn't a teacher. She had a background in accounting, actually. Really? And she, <laughs> yeah. She was one of the, the only one of the only few people that I actually knew who had, um, you know, gone to uni and, and had gotten a degree. And so. Um, you know, she had this background in, in maths to be an accountant, you have to have pretty good math skills. Um, and she absolutely had that. But I think, you know, aside from that, what made her an Arnie was the work that she did within our community. So she, I wasn't the only, um, you know, kid lucky enough to to have her in in my life. In fact, she, she spent time with lots of, of little Aboriginal kids around the community. So, you know, she was very used to, to working with us and, and the tricks that you need to,
0: to use <laughs> to to get people to do something black like maths, <laughs> tricking you with games. She was very very good at it. Very clever lady. <laughs> yes. So you've said before um, in interviews that you actually dropped out of school in year eight. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, yeah. Towards the um, the end of year eight. Um, so but even during year eight, I I didn't actually attend. So. It's probably a little
0: bit before that, to be honest. So, how did you go from leaving high school and then coming back to education? What did your journey look like? Yeah.
1: Okay. So, I, I first off, I I would not recommend it. Um, leaving school was something that, unfortunately, I had to do at the time. Um, for myself i had a lot of responsibility at home growing up and i know that that's the situation for other people out there as well um you know whilst i was a kid there was still a lot that i was responsible for at home because sadly my older people could not do everything um and so i left quite early and the thing was i still loved learning i still absolutely was obsessed with maths and and learning more it wasn't just doing the maths it was getting better at it and learning more that uh, I really, really valued and I really enjoyed. And so I did leave school, but I didn't stop learning. So I ended up going to TAFE, um, which was a wonderful place to, to access. You know, when I did have all this responsibility at home, TAFE was an option for me where I could still learn, but I could learn at the pace that was suited for me. And so not only could I make space for, you know, the things Mm -hmm. that I had to do at home and the people I had to take care of, but then also I was learning Uh, material that was at a level that I was at, like it was really tailored for me. And I'd never really experienced this before. You know, I I was always top of maths. I was always smashing the maths at school. And so I would get a little bit bored with with the maths at school. But then on the other hand, I was always doing really bad at things like English and geography and some of these other subjects. And so I was at this weird point in my education where some things were too easy, some things were too hard. And TAFE was really well tailored to be able to teach me things that were at my level.
0: What did you so study I started- at TAFE?
1: Yeah, good question. Actually, uh, so I studied a course called an early education course, um, early adult education course. I think it was called back then, and and this is quite a while ago as well. <laughs> um, I'm a little bit old now, uh, in approaching. Um, you know, I'm I'm nearly 32, so I don't know if that's old for students <laughs> or not. You be, you know, you can be the judge of that. Um, but yeah, so I was doing this course and it eventually got to a point where they unfortunately couldn't give me harder work. I wanted harder and harder stuff. Um, and I was at, by the time I'd finished G9, I was uh, essentially at a year 11, year 12 maths level.
0: Wow. And so
1: they were basically begging me to go back to school. <laughs> they were like, you have this talent, you have to go back to school. Um, and so that's what I did. I you know, I've always um, been one to listen to my elders and people, you know, older people than me. And so I thought I'll give it a go. I'll see how it goes this time. And so I did. I went back to school. It was really hard, um, you know, and and it would have been hard whether I had stayed or whether I'd left. But I think through leaving, it, it did become, it, it was very, very challenging to get back into it. Um, But that's okay. I got through it and I ended up, Applying
0: to uni and I got in. I think there's one way to look at it as well that if you had stayed from year eight and continued, potentially you wouldn't have been given that more challenging material and you wouldn't have seen how quickly you could grow. You would have maybe just stayed at the year level that you were at. But it's really exciting and interesting as well to see. I think often we can think, you know, there's only one path through school, there's only one path Mm -hmm. through education. You just got to go through high school and then go through uni or whatever. Um, but it's, it's not really the case. There's lots of ways that you can get there. And now you have many degrees. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Oof>. <laughs> Feeling sweaty, just hearing that. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about your uni education, what you did there.
1: Yeah, I'd love to. Um, so when I did go to uni, I unfortunately had missed a bunch of work. I had missed um I missed out on doing advanced maths, which was quite devastating for me. <laughs> um I also missed out on on doing some some science courses and so when I did go to uni I went into a field that I'd always been interested in and that was ancient history. Ooh. And so during year 12 I had done extension history, I had done advanced English and so I I had kind of swapped by the end of year 12. <laughs> I was doing really good in these um you know more englishy type subjects. Um, And so that kind of set me up to get into uni and to start doing ancient history. However, <laughs> once I got there and, you know, i was sitting in these huge lecture rooms. So I went to Newcastle mm-hmm. University. It was just down the road from me. I, grew, I should have mentioned I grew up in Tamworth, New South Wales. Uh, and so moving to Newcastle was very exciting. It was like this cool city, not too big, but bigger than I was used to. Um, and so I'm sitting in these huge lecture rooms. There's hundreds of other students around me. Uh, and we were learning about the Roman Empire. Now, as a history kid, uh, um, like, you know, growing up, just consuming all of this stuff about, you know, Rome and Egypt and Greece and basically all of it, I was over learning about Rome by that point. (laughs) (laughs) I was a little bit bored with it. And so, unfortunately, I did fall asleep in in that lecture. (laughs) And that's when I had the realization that maybe this isn't for me, you know, whilst I loved doing that as a kid, maybe now I needed something a little bit different. Um, And so that's when I started exploring. So I started trying out a bunch of different things. I tried out um, English, so more writing courses. I tried out something called sociology, which looks at societies and tries to study them and try and make different conclusions about different societies. Um, that was really hard for me. I did so bad in it. I <laughs> failed. It was devastating. And again, I was like, okay, maybe this isn't for me. So I kept trying. I eventually tried out this course and it was in a field called philosophy. Now, philosophy is this really interesting field where um, people basically try and make logical arguments for um, for different things. And so the the course that I was particularly um, interested in and was participating in was looking at different philosophical theories for the existence of everything. So we got to talk about how does how does everything come to be? Why does life exist? You know, these really big questions. And I loved it. I absolutely fell in love with it. I thought, this is really cool. We get to, we get to argue about this and we get to use this thing called logic to do it. Now, logic is something that uh, you do come across in maths. And it's basically something that you use to try and get to the truth of something. Uh, and that's, that's how we use it in philosophy. And through that, I was reintroduced to maths because, uh, you know, logic is, is, is very important for maths. Uh, but I was also introduced to physics. Now, I had never touched physics before. It was completely foreign to me. And I was about 19 at this time. Uh, so at 19, I had my first physics class and I fell in love with it. I absolutely loved it. I loved being able to understand our environment a little bit better uh, and understand how it works. And so I didn't look back. I swapped degrees over into a Bachelor of Science, majoring in physics and a Bachelor of Maths because I loved the maths. Um, And that was it. That's
0: that's how I got there. (laughs) I never would have thought that philosophy would lead to physics. Like in my mind, they're really, really separate. So it's kind of amazing that you made that connection and that jump. Yeah. Well, we were actually talking about, you know, uh,
1: theorizing different, different reasons as to why life exists. And one of the key things that come up in that course was this idea of multiverse. Oh. So there's this theory and it, it was very much uh, made popular by a cosmologist uh, of the name Stephen Hawking. He's a very famous uh, <laughs> physicist and um, and you know he he was uh, a huge inspiration for me not just as as a physicist but also as a science communicator because he was able to help me understand these really um quite crazy wild theories about a multiverse or parallel universes and he helped me understand that when I had no understanding of physics so um, basically the multiverse is this theory that inside black holes there are other universes so on the other side of them there are other (laughs) universes and this was just insane I was like this is the coolest thing ever um you know there could be complete other civilizations on the other side of a black hole. And I was just, I was in love. I was mesmerized by it. Um, and I think it's a really good point you brought up too, that philosophy and mass do seem quite different, but it's actually the tools in math the tools that we learn in math that are used in philosophy to try and understand, um, you know, try and get to the most accurate Uh, possible answer or theory that's available to
0: us. So after you went through and did your physics course and also your maths course, so, so many degrees, um, how did you land on coming closer to like the astronomy side of things? I know you talked a little bit about multiverse and black holes. Was that kind of your driving inspiration and what you liked the most about physics? Oh, that's
1: a great question. Um, It was, it was. What got me interested in it in the first place, aside from also really enjoying the work again, you know, having a problem to solve and then seeing myself grow as seeing my understanding grow as I try and solve it and then eventually getting to that point where I do solve it and I just feel like the most... Clever, achieved person <laughs> ever. <laughs> um, so I think it was that that first uh, got me in. It was the work itself, and and being, you know, being able to do it, having that belief in myself. Um, but then it was, you know, the the cosmology. So looking at the universe as a whole, and and trying to find answers in that. But what actually got me into astronomy, it didn't come until a little bit after I had finished. Um, those first two degrees, those maths and physics degrees. And it actually happened at a, a really beautiful time. So I was away mm. on a camp um, and it was a camp for Aboriginal students. And we got to go to uh, Young country, which is in um, Central Coast kind of area. Um, and we were really lucky. We got to have this beautiful time away. Um, and there was an uncle there. So, again, another um, Aboriginal elder. And the uncle, he sat us down one night and we were all around the fire and we were feeding horses. There were horses next to us. It was was a beautiful night. It was honestly so stunning. And, um, you know, we're sitting under this beautiful clear sky and he started telling us star stories. And it just absolutely blew my mind. Like having – that, that cultural connection to to the sky was something that seemed really obvious to me and it seems really obvious to me now, but it was something that I'd never really experienced myself um, within my own community. So you'd never so heard was, these
0: stories before?
1: No, no, especially not these specific stories because, um, of course, you know, different nations have different stories and they have different knowledge that they um, you know that's useful to them, depending on their country. And so, whilst you know my mob, Gamilaroi mob, we have so many stories, and I know so many of them now. But back then, you know, when I was when I was younger, I didn't have the connection to to my country stories. This was my first experience um, of learning learning uh, learning about the sky, really, through this um, this really culturally um relevant way you know it was important to our mobs that we were observing mm. the sky and we knew what was happening because What's up there and the the events that happen up in the sky, they very much tell our old people about what's happening down here on the land. You know, they act as as signals, whether it's signaling a specific time, um, you know, maybe a time for ceremony, maybe it's a seasonal signal. So, you know, there might be a star that appears in the sky that tells people, okay, now it's time uh, that it's going to start getting cold. You need to start preparing for that (laughs) cold weather coming in. And so there's so much information up there um, that you can can learn about uh, that actually tells you a lot about what's happening down here on the ground. And so that experience with that uncle sitting around that fire with, you know, all these other students... Uh, it was just a really special moment for me. And that's when I started thinking, okay, I've learned about physics and how things work, how things move, how, you know, the processes behind them. My old people knew all about this. I, you know, I always didn't even have to go to uni um, to, to learn this, but it was just this really, um, really special moment where, you know, before that I felt like, I felt like a bit of a loner, to be honest, <laughs> you know, being in, in physics. And um, when I did finish those degrees and when I did graduate, we mm-hmm. actually found out that I was the first um, female Indigenous person to graduate with those degrees. And really? one other yeah, one, only one other person had graduated previously with those degrees. And so, you know, I felt lonely. Um, and I felt like it wasn't really something for us, um, you know, not only as an Aboriginal person, but also as a, as a woman, as a girl, you know, I felt a bit out of place there. And I'm not, you know, I'm used to that. I've always had, you know, <laughs> coloured hair and stuff like that. But... You know it still doesn't help. so so hearing these stories and making that connection, you know that this is actually really important to our old people, uh, made it feel made it feel right. It made it feel like you know I was in a place where I was supposed to be. And so mm-hmm. after that I just continued with it. I kept learning about the sky. Um, I got another degree.
0: I've just started <laughs> another one since then. <laughs> Why not? add to the pile. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So when you say stories like what what does that look like what does that mean because when I think about uh, and I'm not an astronomer but when I think about learning about the sky it's a lot of I don't know star maps and things. Sure. Yeah. So stories are
1: very different <laughs> to, um, you know, something like a like a map or, um, but, you know, a lot of our, our mobs do have maps. Um, maybe that's another discussion, but I'll focus <laughs> on the stories for now. Um, but basically, you know, when we think about Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, their cultures are very different to the cultures that we're used to growing up in a Western society. And so, you know, I went to school, um, you know, I went to a public school like lots of other people um, and went through a mainstream um, educational path and system. So I'm very much used to the Western system of learning things. And, and essentially what it looks like is, you know, well, we all know what it looks like. You know, we have our our individual classes, we go to math. we go to English, um, and we go to art or whatever. And then, you know, we kind of choose what we like, what our favourite is, and kind of go really deeply into that field. Whereas Indigenous knowledge is very different in that sense, in that it doesn't separate different topics off into um, you know little sections. It combines all of that knowledge into one. Um, and the reason it does that is because Indigenous peoples are really good at observing things. And in particular, they really put a lot of value on the information um, of how things relate to each other. And so, when we break things off into individual subjects, we kind of lose a bit of that information for, say, for example, as we were talking about before, how philosophy can relate to maths. And so, it's that information in between, you know, how one thing relates to another thing that Indigenous peoples really, really value. Uh, and they value it because they really understand that our world is very connected. Um, and I use this term interconnected to describe it and so that's really talking about say how the sky relates to things that happen down here on the land Um, and for example there's a beautiful story that talks about um, what we've come to call the dark emu, Um, it's also called the celestial emu but essentially it's uh, a constellation in the night sky around this time of the year around winter time and it's a really big emu now we call this dinner one in Gamilaroi language so it's this really stretched out dinner one or emu across the sky but when it's in the sky we don't call it a dinner one we call it Garagai um because that's its it's essentially like a um like a uh Gorogai is like a, a creator being. It's not a creator being, but it's like a, you know, a really important figure for us, for us the contemporary people. Um, and the story of Gorogai, as it travels across the sky throughout the year, it tells us about the Dinawan on the land here. Now, when you see Garugai in the sky, you can see its head um, over near the Southern Cross and its head is made out of something that we call the Kulsak Nebula. It's this dark patch in the sky, just below the Southern Cross. And then its body stretches out across the Milky Way. And again, it uses those dark patches in the Milky Way uh, to make that shape of the emu. And so as the the Garugai, the emu in the sky moves, It has different shapes and forms that it takes on. So when we first see it, we see um, an emu running, and this basically tells us that what's happening on the land is that the male emus are running away from the female emus <laughs> because they're trying—they're trying to mate, basically—and that's what happens with the, the emu community or species. Uh, but then, as Gorgui changes in the sky, we see a different representation of that emu. We only see its bottom half now. And it loses its legs. We no longer see its legs stretched across the sky. So, again, this tells us that the mating period is over. The females are no longer chasing the males. They don't have to run away anymore. <laughs> um, but now the males, it's their job to sit on the eggs, on the emu eggs, and to take care of that nest and those little babies. Um, we call the, the, the eggs uh, gawu in Gamilaroi. And so it's their job, the male's job, to take care of, of those those eggs. Um, and again, we see another change in the sky. And that again tells us something different about the Dinawan or the emu on the land and what's happening here. And so we have these really big stories that tell us a lot of information. They tell us about the changes that we see in the sky, the changes that we can expect, but then they also tell us how those changes are very much mirrored on the land, uh, and what we can expect to see on the land as well. And so, there are many, many of these <laughs> stories. When we again, when we talk about indigenous people, we we didn't write things down. We weren't a written culture. We were an oral culture, and so the way that we transferred information. Is that we would sing songs, we would tell stories, we would turn those stories into dances, um, and we would also do different forms of of art and different types of manipulation of the land as well. And so we have all these other ways that we convey information, and and storytelling is such an important part of that.
0: That's. Incredible because I think, yeah, you're totally right. Like when you said it of, um, like Western education can often sort of silo subjects from each other. And I didn't make the connection between philosophy and maths. It's, it's always so difficult for me to wrap my head around how people can figure out <laughs> these, these interconnections on such a large scale. And it's incredible to hear about them to me because I feel like, that would be like ridiculously hard to notice and put together. But all of that knowledge is just there. Yeah, that's such a great point. Thank you for sharing that. I think that, I
1: I often have the same difficulty, right, because I have been brought up in a Western system and it is so different to an Indigenous system. I have to retrain my brain to look at things a little bit differently. They are very different ways of looking at things. And both systems are incredible in their own right. You know, when we think about, um, you know, Western systems and Western um, ways of knowing and transferring knowledge, you know, it's been... Uh, incredible for things like innovation, technology advancement, you know, all these, all these things that we love today and take comfort in today, um, you know, is really a product of that siloing, you know, that separating of of information and keeping them in their own little, little, um, you know, little houses, I guess. <laughs> uh, whereas, you know, the opposite of that gives way to a completely different type of innovation and a different way of living as well. And so, you know, we're just not used to seeing it. It is quite difficult (laughs) for us to to be able to adapt to to that way of looking at the world. But that's why, you know, our old people, our elders, um, you know, the traditional owners and custodians of the lands on which we all live on, they're such important people. <laughs> in 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 you know my world, they they are our leaders, they are our teachers. Um, and you know, they are the experts on all matters that relate to the land and our, our people. And so. You know, it's very similar in a way. You know, we look at our teachers as being people that can teach us things. You know, we look to our elders because they have this understanding. They know how to see the world like this. And that's why, you know, we have so much respect for our elders.
0: As someone who does straddle, I guess, these two different ways of thinking and learning, do you find it quite difficult to explain to people who are from one camp or the other how the other side thinks, or, I mean, I know it's basically what you do, so I think you've gotten pretty good at it. <laughs> yeah, and I think because it's a it's a lived
1: experience as well, right, like I've kind of jumped between the two worlds a lot throughout my life. So when I was um, a little girl, very young kid, and I was first going into preschool, so, um, you know, the school that you go to before big school, I was actually at an Aboriginal preschool. And so my first experience of, of learning was through this really um, you know Aboriginal way of, of learning and being um, with with my my peers and the other students. But then I went into um, a more mainstream school after that. And so I think because I've been able to have both of those experiences, you know, have one foot in community on country, and learn from my elders, but then also, um, you know, value and appreciate the education I get from from school as well. Uh, you know, I'm able to to try and explain that to people
0: and explain my experiences to people. I don't know how well I go. <laughs> but. I feel like you explained some stuff pretty well to me. Like, I feel like I have a better understanding. So, I mean, you got at least one person. Yes. <laughs> do, you, do you ever find it a bit frustrating, do you ever find that people kind of maybe don't quite get the understanding um, and or they kind of discount it, particularly if it's not the way that they're used to learning? Do you find that people are kind of like, oh, that doesn't sound real to me? Yeah,
1: I think so. And I, I do get a lot of people who confuse the work I do with something um, like, say, astrology, for example. Um, so astrology is a field in its own right where you know people look at the, the sky, um, they look at the motions of the planets and then they attribute that to people down here and different, Um, basically the psychology of people down here on on the land. Now, I see that it's very similar to what I talk about um, in terms of Indigenous astronomy, um, but they are very, very different. Uh, So, for example, yes, Indigenous people look to the sky to understand what's happening down here on the land, but it's more about the different cycles that come about um, through... Um, in things like animals, different animal species, um, you know, different environmental factors that will affect, you know, someone who is living on the land and and also monitoring the land because they have responsibility to take care of it. Um, and so it's kind of less about people; it's more specifically about the observations that have been made in the sky. Um, whereas astrology has a slightly different twist on it. And so I think. People try to connect them, um, and also with astronomy as well, of course. You know, people try and, um, or people often confuse astrology with astronomy. It's fair enough. They have very similar sounding words, and they are related in some way. In fact, astronomy came out of astrology. Um, And so, you know, it is confusing, and I totally appreciate that. I don't I, I try not to get frustrated because you know it is it is a bit messy <laughs> with the different words. I just try to explain the best that I can, um, you know how the fields are different, um, what the different focuses are, and and the different uh, uses of those different knowledge systems as well, because mm. uh, you know the the use of indigenous sky knowledge is very different to the use of, say, astronomy or astrology, and so I just try and make it clear that, um, you know, I don't try to um, argue with people too much (laughs) or anything like that. You know, people have their opinions for a reason. I just try to to share my opinions and share where I'm coming from.
0: What do you think people have to gain from learning more from an Indigenous kind of knowledge background that they might not be familiar with? Is that something that people should look to do more and how could it impact, I guess, Australia?
1: Oh, I think that's a wonderful question. Um, I think it's really important. I think, you know, the fact that uh, we're learning the knowledge of this country, right, before um, before mm-hmm. Australia came to be a thing, uh, you know, before, before most of what we know, you know, most of what we know in astronomy, we've only found out in the past, the majority of it we've only really found in the past 500 years, but, you know, maybe 2,000 years. Um, whereas when we think about Indigenous knowledge systems, they are the oldest record of, of anything in human history, right? We have the oldest people, Um that, that we know of um, you know the oldest societies and the oldest civilizations that we know of. and so the knowledge that they have cannot be found anywhere else. It is incredibly unique knowledge in that again, it does value the relationship between things. and and what we find when we value those um, you know how one thing can affect another mm-hmm. thing, we tend to tread a little bit more lightly. So in Western, um, you know, Western science, but also just Western learnings in general, because we don't understand, you know, we don't really have a lot of focus on how one thing could affect another thing we often act without really much thought on the consequences of those actions. And unfortunately, we see that being played out over and over again. You know, that's why it's so important that we now need to be aware of those consequences and aware of how our actions can affect other things. So, for example, I talk a lot about light pollution. It's something that I'm quite concerned about. Um, In the same way that I'm concerned for our land and taking care of our land and making sure that we're not taking too much away from it, you know, our sky just as much needs uh, to be taken care of and to be looked after. And so, you know, I think from Indigenous peoples, we're able to learn that. We're able to learn how to um, not only observe you know, our environment around us, be really amazing scientists, but then also understand how we can live in this world uh, in a sustainable way that is really in harmony with our surroundings.
0: I think sometimes people can think that, oh, I'm not Indigenous, therefore Indigenous knowledge isn't for me. How should people look at it?
1: Sure, that's... It, it's definitely a, a situation <laughs> that we see. Um, and and the thing is, you know, unfortunately, Indigenous peoples all around the world, not just in Australia, but all around the world have been. Um, it's a big question. You know, they've been taken advantage of for a really long time now. You know, not only did we lose a lot of our land, but we lost a lot of our culture in the creation of Australia, for example. And so we do need to be really mindful going forward in that we're not continuing uh, those same horrific cycles that have already um, you know, that Indigenous people have already had to deal with. So it's really important that we are working with Indigenous peoples to understand their culture if they want to share it. Um, and not just taking, I guess, you know, making sure that it's, it's consensual and it's, it's um, you know, it's okay. And if someone is sharing something with you, and that's absolutely okay. Whether you're Indigenous or non-Indigenous, that's, that's a lesson from the land that that person is giving you. That is a gift. And so it definitely isn't just for Indigenous peoples. It's for anyone who is living on this land, but it's also for people who can show it the respect um, that it does deserve and show those communities the respect that they do deserve.
0: I guess, yeah, as you said, it's the difference between learning from and taking from. And I think that's a really great and important distinction to make. So... What does the future hold for you and the work that you're doing? How many more degrees are you gonna do in the next 10 years? Yeah, that's where my brain instantly
1: went. <laughs> What's my next degree? <laughs> no, okay. So I will I will eventually stop getting degrees after this one. This is the last one, I swear. We'll see, we'll see. Um, yeah, actually, I shouldn't be too um yeah, too hard on myself. Uh so I'm currently doing something called a PhD. This is basically the last degree you can do at uni. Um, So they might not even let me back. It might not even be up to me. You'll just do another PhD. Um, Yeah, maybe. Uh, but essentially, I'm looking at, I'm doing a PhD in astronomy and astrophysics. Uh, we haven't spoken much about astrophysics, but it's very similar to astronomy in that we're looking at the sky. We're trying to understand what's happening up there, but we use a lot of physics to do that. So we're, we're really trying to understand the different processes that are happening up there. And so what I'm looking at are these Little space clouds that exist at the center of our galaxy, and they're made of this this gas. Now, this gas is called neutral hydrogen. It's the building blocks of our entire universe. Without this, you know, if you go and look on a periodic table, neutral hydrogen is the very first one on that table, and so everything else is built from this this gas. And so, essentially, we're trying to figure out where this gas came from. It's like the galaxy has done this big fart <laughs> and it's released this big fart cloud and we have no idea where it where it come from, where it's going, what it's doing. And so that's where I come in. I study these big space farts and try and understand <laughs> a little bit about them. I'm so sorry. that's where I am at the moment. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm forever now going to think of you as the person who studies space farts. Like that's just going to be. That's <laughs> <laughs> I will own that. That is fun. <laughs> And what do you think we can learn from space parts? Oh, that's a really good question.
1: So we're really interested in understanding how our galaxy came to form. Our galaxy is a little bit unusual in that it's creating stars and stars create life. So when our our, our sun, you know, the sun in our sky, when it first became a star, um, it released a bunch of material, a bunch of gas and, and lots and lots of material around it. And then once all of that material settled down around that sun, that formed the planets that we now live on. Um, and so it's the, the, the suns, the stars within our galaxies that create life. And so we're interested in knowing how many more suns is our galaxy going to create before it just runs out of this gas. Um, now, when it does run out of the gas, it stops creating stars. And we call those galaxies red and dead um, because essentially they're no longer you know, creating anything. Um, nothing is really coming from those stars anymore. And it's just basically a graveyard for stars to go and die. Oh dear. And so <laughs> obviously we're really interested in when our galaxy is going to experience that. Now I can say it's not going to happen anytime soon. It's certainly not going to happen in our lifetime. <laughs> Good so to know. We don't
0: have to worry too much. <laughs> Well, those are some really kind of big picture things to be looking at. And it has been such a pleasure chatting to you and learning about all the amazing things that are in your head, which I'll admit, I don't don't know that much about. So, you know, thank you so much for spending the time to explain these things to us and give us a little taste of, I guess, what's out there that we can learn.
1: Oh, it's absolutely my pleasure. I just have to say, Rad,
0: it's been absolutely rad. Thank you so much <laughs> for having me. Well, Carly, it's been absolutely Carly. Doesn't <laughs> <a> work right <laughs> as well. Doesn't <That's> work. <laughs> Thank you to all the schools and students and everyone who has joined us to watch this chat. Thank you again to Carly for joining us. And remember, if you want to catch anything else from the Sydney Opera House, we would love if you did. Maybe you can come for a tour, do a workshop or join us for another talk. So from everyone here at the Sydney Opera House, we'll see you later. To make sure you don't miss out, subscribe to Artie Fartie, wherever you get your podcasts from. Thanks for
1: listening.